Let us pray. Father God, we, uh, we love you. And Lord, I was ministered to by that song, I Need You More. I'm reminded, Lord, that uh, you are all that I need. You are everything. If I have everything and I lack you, then I have nothing. And Father, I am just grateful that you are all in all and all sufficient. And I ask you right now, Lord, to rest upon us today. Send your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts to receive what you would say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. In fact, that's the only verse we're going to read from that passage. Jesus is speaking and he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Today I want to talk to you about the idolatry of things. So there are, there are many Christians in the world today who are of the opinion that faith, and I'm talking about specifically the Christian faith, it has very little to do with money and possessions. That God is not concerned or should not be concerned about your pocketbook. Without even realizing it, you might be one of those guys. And I mean, yes, we, we, we talk about giving in church, and we talk about tithing in church from time to time. But I mean, the only reason that preachers really do that is, is to keep the doors open or to fund the ministry, right? And that's really the only reason we ever talk about tithing and giving. You might feel like the scriptures have no real business in your pocketbook. They were written for an audience 2,000 plus years ago. Um, And so they don't really have relevance in terms of your finances today. And when the scriptures do talk about money, they're talking about somebody else's money. Again, written for someone 2,000 years ago. Or if you believe that the Bible is relevant today, then when it talks about money, it doesn't really mean what it says. What is written on the page can't possibly mean that because that is just too hard to live. In fact, you may hold those beliefs even without realizing it. You know, the Bible is about love and it's about mercy and forgiveness and holiness. We come to the scriptures, we come to the Bible for comfort. We come to the Bible for spiritual guidance If I want financial advice, if I want financial wisdom, I'll read something like Fortune magazine or or Forbes, something along those lines, right? Just because you've never given a voice to an idea or you never fully articulated a certain point of view, you've never actually said it, you never actually thought it out in your head, it doesn't mean that you don't actually hold to that way of thinking. If you'll look in your life, you'll see the way that you live out your life and the way that you, you, uh, you um, uh, conduct yourself in certain areas, that's how you really believe about certain things. You don't have to actually have to voice it. You don't have to say it. A lot of people are deceived into thinking they are better in certain areas than they are because they've never been confronted with, with uh, the truth. They've never had to face a, a, um, a challenge or a test in those areas. So they think, yeah, I'm good in this area. Because they've never really had to think about it. So the question is, does God really care? I mean, does he really care about your money and your possessions? Obviously, my answer is yes. 
Emphatically, yes. Very much, yes. In fact, throughout the whole Bible, there are over 2,300 verses. In fact, it's closer to 2,400 verses about money. They're either directly addressing money or they're indirectly addressing money. And when I say indirectly, I'm not talking about some tenuous connection that we have to work really hard to try to find. I mean, this is, it may not exactly say money, but we know they're talking about money. They don't have to say it in the verse, but it's very clear that that is the subject. For example, when the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that he says that let the elders rule who rule well, let those who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, he's talking about money. He didn't actually say it in the verse, but he's talking about money. In fact, throughout all of Scripture, more times than not, when they talk about giving someone honor, it's talking about money. In fact, money and possessions and our relationship with them is so important, it's so influential in our lives that there are critical, eternal truths that are expressed to us, that are given to us from the Scriptures in the context of money. You ever heard it said that the wages of sin is death? That's money. An eternal, spiritual, absolute truth expressed to us in the context of money. Why? Because we get it. We understand money. It is integral to our lives, how we live, how we behave. In fact, the Bible says twice as much about money than it does about faith and prayer combined. Now, how important is faith to the Christian life? How important is prayer to the Christian life? And the Bible says twice as much about money as it does about both of those pillars combined. Do you think money is important to God? Absolutely. Jesus said more about money than he did about heaven or hell. Richard Haverson, he is the, the 60th United States Senate chaplain up until he retired in 95. He said this, he said, Jesus Christ said more about money than any other single thing, because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through Scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. I can promise you, if you're not squirming now, you're going to be by the time that we're done. God cares a great deal about your money because your heart will follow whatever you treasure. Jesus said some very shocking things about money. Most of you are familiar with all of the things that he said. You've heard these verses in, in your life. You've read them, especially if you attended Sunday school at any time as you were a kid. The problem is... You know, when we become familiar with something, it breeds contempt. You ever heard that expression, familiarity breeds contempt? The reason being is that some, when something becomes familiar, it becomes common. And it is easy for us to take what is common and lose our appreciation for it. Because it's common. You don't believe me? Look at your spouse who you've been married to for God only knows how long. And tell me how long it took you before her, she said or he said, you're taking me for granted. I promise you, you've all had that conversation at one point. If you've been married more than 10 years, you've had that conversation, or at least you thought about having that conversation at one point. Because what is common, we tend to lose our appreciation for it. 
So I want you to try to clear away the thoughts in your mind. I'm going to read some things that Jesus said about money, and I want you to try to clear away your preconceptions. Um, forget the fact that you've heard this a thousand times, and try to listen to it as, as if you were hearing it from our Lord, your Savior, for the very first time, as if he were saying it to you for the first time. So here are some things that Jesus said about money. He said, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's Matthew 6. Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That's Luke 6. One thing you still lack. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me, Luke 18. He said, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in an abundance of his possessions, Luke 12. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's Luke 12. How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 18. Those are some hard things. Those are some difficult truths. And we have to believe that they are truth because these are things that Jesus himself has said. Jesus who is Lord. Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. We have to believe that this is truth or we can't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And we can't believe that, that we can't accept salvation. It all hinges on him being the way, the truth, and the life. The fruit of our repentance is never more clear in a person's life than it is in how they handle, how they manage their money. Their relationship with possessions. You can read the Bible every day. You can gain more knowledge about the scriptures every day. But you can never be changed by it if you don't approach it with humility. You can go to church every Sunday and pay your tithes and sing the right songs and say the right words and listen to the right music and post the right scriptures on social media. And all of that can be faked by someone who's just wanting to fit into a community. But you look at how a person handles his money. You look at where they spend their money and how they store their money, if they hoard their money, how he reacts to his neighbor's need. And you have a real window into the state of his soul. That's what the scriptures say. In fact, in Luke chapter 3, you know, we see John the Baptist and he's doing his thing. He's preaching the gospel of repentance and he's baptizing people. And then Luke chapter 3 is where he says that famous uh, saying. It says, you, you uh, den of vipers. And he tells them in verse 8 of chapter 3, he says, I want you to bear the fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear the fruits 
in keeping with repentance. So in verse 10, they ask him, you know, they, they're there, they have come out of the city to where he is in the wilderness, baptizing this strange man, preaching this strange message. They've come out of the city to hear him preach. They're, they're on board. We're on board with you, John. I like what you're saying. And you're saying to bear fruit of repentance. You've even told me that I can't count on my heritage in Abraham. That doesn't save me. There's a repentant heart that has to come. Repent and bear fruit of that repentance. So I'm on board with you. I got it. What does it mean? Show me what I have to do. What must we do to bear this fruit? That's verse 10. What then shall we do? How do we bear this fruit? What does it even look like? What does the fruit of repentance look like, John? And look at what he tells them to do. Now remember, this is in, he's telling them, he's speaking this in direct answer to their question. How, what do we do? Bear the fruit of repentance. Okay, what do we do? What must we do? How do we put the repentance on display? That's what bear fruit here means, to to display it. What must we do to show that we are repentant? So in verse 11, we see that John answers them. He says, whoever has two tunics. Now, remember, how do I show you I'm repentant? Okay, that's the question. You got it? How do I show you that my heart has been changed and I am repentant? He says, whoever has two tunics. Share with him who has none. That's money. You got more than you need, you share with someone who doesn't have what they need. Whoever has food is to do likewise. That's money. You got more than you need, share with someone who doesn't. You want to know what it looks like to be repentant? Do that. And then in verse 12, tax collectors come to him. Oh, the wicked tax collectors. They were the lowest people, you know, even, even sinners and tax collectors in the same sentence. They always belonged together. Tax collectors came wanting to be baptized. They said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And what did he say to them? Collect no more than you're authorized to do. That's money. Do your business honestly. Amen. Collect what? No more than, collect money. No more than you're authorized to do. Now the soldiers come. In verse 14, and the soldiers also ask him, what must we do? What are we supposed to do to show this fruit of repentance? And what does he say to them? Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your money, your wages. Money, 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 money. How do I show that I'm repentant? How do I do this, John? I'm on board with you. What does this fruit of repentance look like? And John the Baptist says, you've got to change your relationship with money. This is going to be fun today. (laughs) Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. This is also a very familiar story about a wealthy man's encounter with Jesus. It's known as the story of the rich young ruler, and I want to just just lay this out there for you. This is not a parable. You know, we we have a tendency to put titles on the the interactions that Jesus has, and he tells a lot of parables, the parable of the sower, the prodigal son, uh, the parable of the, the lost sheep, 
I mean, we, we have all, and so we put story, we put titles on all these stories, and this is the story of the rich young ruler, the parable of the good Samaritan. There are, the difference between a parable and an event, this is an event, this is an encounter that a young man had, this is not a story that Jesus is telling, this is a historical event, okay? So we are to learn from what, just as why Jesus preaches in parables, we learn from the parables, he's using a story, something that he you know, contrived to help us understand what he's saying. Now we have a historical event. Amen. Not a story. This actually happened. So let, let's read it. Luke 18, beginning in verse 18. The Bible says, A ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he, that's the young ruler, he said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. Wow, I've done all that. In verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, You know what, one thing you still lack. He said, Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when he, that's the rich young ruler, when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. And then Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, he said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Not impossible, but hard. Do you remember in Matthew 22 when when Jesus was asked, you know, the lawyer stood up and he asked Jesus, he said, uh, what is the greatest commandment in the law? You know, they were asking him this because they wanted to trip him up. You know, they're asking him to test him. They wanted to get him to say something that, that they could use to, to, to hang him. Amen. They wanted him to trip up. Uh, well, there's a lot of laws. Which one is the most important one? You're hoping he would give them the wrong answer. But what, is, what does Jesus say? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second one is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything is hung, that's how the King James put it, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. You can hang everything else like hooks on these two commands. So this rich young ruler in Luke 18 has come to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, you know the commandments, don't you? Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your parents. And the ruler says to him, well, that's, that's amazing, that's awesome. I've done all those things from my youth. Most of my life I have done all of those things. Now, let me ask you this question. From all those things that Jesus listed, the, you know, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't lie, all that stuff. If you had to hang them on one of the two great commandments that he gave us in Matthew, when, he, when they asked him, what is the great commandment? And he said, the first one is love God with everything you got. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And then he expands that in the rest of the gospel. And he says, love him with all of your heart, your mind, and strength. Not just your mind and your spirit, but he had your strength. Love him with everything you've got. When they asked him that, and he said that, if you had to hang these two command, these commandments that he gave us in Luke 18 on one of those two, which one would it be? The second one. These are all relation to other people. 
Don't murder. Right? Be faithful in your marriage. Don't, don't kill people. Don't steal from people. Don't lie to people. Honor the people who raised you. All of those things hang on that second and great commandment. To love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So that's, that's fantastic. Love your neighbor as yourself. The guy thinking, the rich young ruler is thinking, man, I've got it. I'm in. My card has been punched. And if, if that were all that there was to it, you know, I, I'd be right there with him. And I think so many of you would be too. Many of us would be there, right there with him. Because I can, I can honestly say I've never cheated on my wife. I, I've never killed anybody. And I don't plan on it. I don't steal I can't stand lies. I honor my mom and dad every way that I know how. So yeah, praise God, I'm in, right? I'm in. But you see, the thing is that Jesus could see this man's heart. And he was no doubt a good man. He was a good Jewish citizen. He comes to Jesus and he's looking to do the right thing. A good-hearted person wanting to do what is right. Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I can tell this about him because verse 23 says that when Jesus said what he said to him about selling his possessions, the Bible says that he turned away in sadness. Doing the right thing, being a part of God's inheritance, this was something that was important to him. It was a real desire of his heart. And he, like many of us, thought, I'm in. And then it became too expensive. He only had half of it. Because you remember the first and great commandment that Jesus gave us. Love God with everything you've got. All your heart. So everything within you, above everything else, with all of your being, we've got to love God. And so he told this young ruler, one thing you lack though. You got the second one down. That's great. That's wonderful. You're almost there. But not quite. One thing you lack. And what was that one thing? Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the sovereign. Amen. All right? The sovereign knows who is sitting on his throne. And he sees straight into this man's heart, just like he sees straight into your heart and into my heart. And he knows who or what is sitting on the throne, which is his throne in our lives. Amen. So this encounter is, is not about giving. Open your eyes and, and see the forest and don't be blinded by the trees. This encounter is not, not about giving. It's not about tithes. This guy was undoubtedly a giver and a tither. He was a, a, a good Jewish citizen, obedient to the law. So tithing and giving were very much a part of his life, most likely. This passage, this encounter that this man had with Jesus isn't about possessions. It's about idols and lordship. Amen. You do not have to bow your knee to something and sing praises to it in order to worship it. You worship with your attention. You worship with the affections of your heart, the treasures of your heart. Now, I want to put your mind at ease. Jesus is not telling every Christian to sell everything they have and give it all away to the poor. That's not what he's saying here. Jesus is telling this person, I see your heart. 
I see your heart. I see who is sitting on the throne in your heart. I see who you really love, and it's not me. You need to get money off of this throne. You need to get your possessions off of this throne. You need to let me be Lord and Master and Deliverer and Savior. Let me be Comforter and Provider. Let me be Provider. We will shout Jehovah Jireh all day long. God my Provider. And how often do we actually let Him do it? Do we trust Him to do it? Puts in my heart, you need to give 50 bucks to that guy. But Lord, I can't because if I give my 50 bucks to that guy, I won't have it for my kids. I won't have it to buy groceries. Am not I, the Lord, your provider? Who provided you that 50? I just... Mm. Let me be comforter and provider. That's, Jesus can see this in this man's heart. His trust is in his stuff. The man wouldn't do it because his trust was in his money and in his things. He wanted his things more than he wanted the eternal gift of God. And God he even promised him, look, sell your stuff, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven Amen. where moth and rust do not corrupt. can't do it because I love that stuff. Jesus is not speaking against great wealth. The great wealth wasn't the problem. He's not telling us that we can't have things. In fact, God uses our things in great ways to bless. If we, He gives us things so that we can be a blessing to others. He's not telling us that we can't have things. He is warning us against things having us. Amen. They become our idols. Whether you realize it or not, you start to circle around those things. There's nothing inherently wrong with having possessions. But when our possessions, when our, when our love for them and our obligations to our possessions get in the way of our love and our obedience to God, now let me say that again. When our love for and our obligation to our possessions get in the way of our obedience to God, then our possessions have become our God, and we have set idols on our throne. Amen. Amen. And God said, I will have no other gods before me. So it really boils down to ownership, doesn't it? Who owns it? Who owns it? Who owns all your stuff? Who owns all of your money? If you see yourself as the owner, then you have a real spiritual problem. Amen. Because everything you own has gravity. Everything in your life has a gravity to it, and it keeps you in orbit around it. Now, I'm not talking scientifically. That's silly. I'm talking figuratively. Your attention. Just think about it. Think about it. So you buy a brand new car. You drive it off the lot. It's not got a scratch or a ding on it. And you take it to the grocery store, you park it, you go in, do your shopping, you come back out to your car, and there's a ding in your door because some inconsiderate jerk parked next to you and wasn't considerate of your brand new car. Now, your attitude has just had a massive adjustment because of that tiny ding in your brand new car. And not an adjustment for the better. But now, if you had been driving your 15-year-old reliable clunker, that gets you from here to there without problems. It's just 
takes a lick and keeps on ticking. It's been around the block a few times. It's got, it's got some wear and tear on it. Those are just love scratches. I mean, this is all reliable. If you'd been driving that car, what's one more ding? Not so much of a big deal. What about that green and orange shag carpet that you've had in your living room since the late 1970s? You know, you're not a really big deal if your grandkids spill some red Kool-Aid on it. In fact, it might be an improvement. But let them spill Kool-Aid on your brand new carpet that you had installed last week. Much different reaction. Now, you, you may be able to, because they're your grandkids and you love them, you may be able to control the outward appearance of that reaction. But inside, don't lie, you're having a fit. Right? Why is that? Because possessions have gravity. And they tend to put you in orbit around them. They tend to draw away your attention. But just like how the grass withers and the flower fades, they become worn and worthless over time. And so to fill that void, to fill that, that gravity, and to fill that draw, what do we do? We go out and get new things with new gravity. Nothing wrong with having nice things. I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't have nice things, but we must be double and triple careful that we do not enthrone those things in our hearts. Amen. On the other hand, if you see yourself as, as just a, uh, an entrusted manager, which is what we are, we're entrusted managers as a steward, and all that you have belongs to the Lord, and you are just trusted to manage it on His behalf, then you are free from the gravity of those things. They're not yours to begin with. Your treasure is the Lord and you're in orbit around Him and His gravity does not fade and His commands uh, and His, His laws command your attention and your affection and those are forever. Amen. So let me ask you a question. I want you to think honestly about this to the extent that you can because I don't think very... Many of us have ever been really tested in this way. Or if we've been tested, we've, we've probably failed and we were so blind to our own sin that we don't realize we were tested and failed. But if you were standing in that young ruler's shoes and you come and you say, what must I do to be saved? If that were you, if you had a desire to follow Jesus Christ and to, to do good, but he said to you, I'm not Lord of your life. Not really. I mean, you're, you're trying to do good, and I get that. That's wonderful, but that's only part of it. I'm not Lord yet. You love your possessions too much. You trust your money too much. You need to get rid of those things and fully trust me. If that were you, how would the story have played out? Better yet, how has that story played out? How many opportunities to trust God and to help others have we missed or ignored because we obligated all of God's blessings in our life to things that are intended for our own comfort? So that when the time came to truly give and truly be generous and truly act on faith, we found ourselves strapped up to our eyeballs in debt and obligations because of all the things that we have enthroned in our hearts. You see, the trouble comes when we enthrone things, make them idols, and it's so easy to do. 
See, we think that God blesses us with things and he blesses us with wealth so that we can increase our standard of living. And that's not the truth at all. God blesses us with things so that we can increase our standard of giving. You need to remember that. When I receive a blessing, I get a raise on my job. Lord, was this for me or was this for you? Was this to increase my standard of living or was it to make me a more cheerful, easier giver? Was it to make it easier for me to to sow into other people's lives? How would that play out for you? If God told you to give away your house, I mean, it's wonderful that you have this house. You've built it from the ground up. It is everything you've ever wanted. The landscaping, you've got it perfect. It's your own little piece of paradise. The floor plan, you've, you've remodeled and you've redone and you've reshaped and you've reformed and you've got it just perfect. You raised your kids there. You've built a life there. You've made memories in this, this house and on this property. You've made it into your own little haven for you and your family. But God tells you one day, I need you to give that away. Not sell it, but give it. I need you to give that away. God says to you, I want to bless this other young family, and I'm going to use you to do that. See, you thought you were preparing this house for yourself. You thought you were making this place perfect, but you've only been preparing it for the blessing that I wanted to give to someone else. I've allowed you to manage it and to possess it for a season so that you could make it for me into a truly spectacular gift. He says, trust me in this. Because no one who leaves their house or their family will not, will, will not again receive a hundred times more. If you leave your house or your family, I will bless you a hundredfold. And I wonder, and you should wonder, could I do it? Would I be able to trust him? Would you be able to trust him in that? Or would you dismiss him? Would you turn away in sadness like the rich young ruler because you had great possessions? And without even realizing it, you love your possessions more than you love God. You trust your possessions more than you trust God. And if that is the case for you, then who do you really serve? See, most of us haven't been tested in that area. So it's easy to sit back and say, oh, I I would do the right thing. But I wonder, I even want, I'm, I'm telling you this and I wonder. I pray, Lord, I would do the right thing, but you know, we get so comfortable with our possessions. Amen. And just like this rich young ruler came and said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You've got to let me, God, be on the throne and get the possessions off. It comes down to ownership. Are you the owner or is God the owner? If there is anything in your life, I'm talking anything in your life that you would not lay down in a heartbeat when the Lord said lay it down, then you have an idol. If that car is so precious to you that you would not give it up at a moment's notice when the Lord said, I want you to give it to that guy, you've got an idol. I won't drop everything I've got, quit my job and move to Africa or wherever he's calling me to do to preach to the unsaved people 
then you've got an idol. I've been telling you for weeks that, that grace disrupts and it creates a life that is radically different from the one that you see out in the world, Amen. the one that you've lived out in the world. Amen. This is radically different. Yes, sir. Who is on the throne in your heart? That is the real question, the idolatry of things. You cannot serve God and money. Do you still love me? I hope so. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. It is righteous and it is good. And uh, I just ask that you let it sit on us and uh, stir us into good works, Lord. Lord, help us as we navigate these waters. Help us to make sure that you are enthroned in our heart and not our things. God, we love you and we praise you. We give you all the glory. Take us from here safely and bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.